Good morning, church. Where well, the songs of the scriptures are so glorious, aren't they? Amen. Please turn in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 1. We're going to continue our study of the gospel of Luke this morning. We're going to begin in verse 39, and we'll go all the way to verse 56 this morning. I'll read the text over us now, and please remember as I read that these are the words of God. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For He has looked upon the humble estate of His slave. For behold, from this time on all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear Him. He has done a mighty deed with His arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, His servant, in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his seed forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. Thus far is the reading of the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And as we always do each Sunday morning, I'll ask God's blessing on our time now. Father, the worship songs that you inspired and had written down in the scriptures are glorious. And this morning we are faced with with another series of those songs of praise and worship. Lord, we want to worship Jesus Christ with this kind of joy and this kind of energy. We want to long for Christ as Mary and Elizabeth and even unborn John was longing for Jesus. Lord, would you do that in our hearts? By a miracle of your Spirit, move amongst this congregation. And if there are those here who are weighed down with sins and are burdened with trials and pains and all sorts of discomforts, Lord, would you, as Daniel prayed this morning, comfort us in every affliction and every trial and woo us to Christ. And for those here this morning who are lost and far from you, would you break the stony heart even this morning as the word of God is preached and create in them a desire they've never felt before, a desire to worship King Jesus. And would they do it? We ask this in His precious name. 
Amen. Well, I'm sure that you've all seen on YouTube those singing compilation videos. They were really popular uh, back in 2020 during COVID. You know, it, it begins with a, a dark screen and then one square of the screen will sort of brighten up and there will be a person's face and they'll begin to sing and um, their voice is followed by another voice and, and then another one joins in and another until your whole browser window is full, filled with voices all joining together um, to sing and use a, a remarkably talented pool of people oftentimes um, to make this beautiful music. And it's impressive to me how these groups can harmonize together. They can, they can blend their voices. And I know that technology helps with this. But the, across space and time, they can assemble all of their voices together to make this really delightful syndicated act of music. And as you listen, I wonder, do you ever, do you ever catch yourself wishing that you could sing like that? Or, or do you catch yourself wondering or, or longing, I, I want to be in one of those videos where I can sing along with this group of people and we create this really beautiful music together. Well, Luke has begun his gospel and he's writing to Theophilus, remember, this uh, man who's likely a Greek and um, has some doubts about his faith. And, and he's, he's written to Theophilus these two baby boy stories and their birth announcements, John and Jesus. And as the second member of the Holy Trinity begins to take on flesh, which actually is going to happen in verse 36 of our, uh, excuse me, verse 39 of our text this morning, a small choir begins to form. Small ensemble is coming together. Shortly after his conception, our Lord Jesus is miraculously greeted with the worship of the first human being ever to praise him, and that's an, an unborn child, preborn John the Baptist. And then that voice, though unheard, is followed by the voice of Elizabeth, his mother. And finally, in a climactic fortissimo by the mother of the Messiah, Mary herself. Now imagine for a second that you're Theophilus. You're wrestling with doubts and you're faced with numerous tests and trials. And then you read this narrative with this growing chorus of adorers of Jesus, the barely formed at this point King of Kings. Would your heart not be longing to join in the song? This morning's text asks us a simple question. And beloved, I, I ask you the same. The Lamb of God is here. Will you not worship Him? Will you not join the chorus of saints throughout the ages and worship King Jesus? Verses 39 to 40 say, Now this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Even though Mary would have to leave the safety of her home in Nazareth, she would make the long trek to a city south of Jerusalem in the Judean countryside, a trip that probably would have taken her about three to four days. She would have to travel past the Samaritan territory, an area full of unfriendliness towards Jews. 
and also an area that was known for thieves and bandits. You can see the Good Samaritan story in Luke chapter 10. And she would have to find a caravan to travel with, hopefully some family members that were making the journey to the south. And, and then she would somehow have to secure her parents' approval to even go on such a trip. And she would be doing this in the early days of her first trimester. But Mary's response to Gabriel's announcement is immediate. She wastes no time. The scripture says that she went metaspudes, which is Greek for something like pedal to the metal. The LSB's rendering of in a hurry is also an acceptable translation. Now Luke is showing us here further evidences of Mary's faith in God and in His promises. Gabriel had given her a sign so that she would know for certain what he said was going to come true. And Mary's, she knew that ignoring the sign would be disobedience. She knew that if she heard the sign and said, I just don't believe. If she didn't get up and act, she would be in disobedience to God. Now, I want to pause for just a second and talk about signs. Talk about evidences that God puts in creation and nature and things that we're looking for. I know that the talk of signs for many of you might give you the heebie-jeebies. The dominant movement in evangelicalism for the last century or so, known as pietism, is full of subjective, introspective, feelings-based everything. Everything in the Christian life has to depend on some kind of sign. I need a sign for this. I need a sign for that. Where am I going to go to school? Who am I going to marry? Should I take this job? I need a sign from heaven. Sign from heaven. Sign from heaven. You have young people today wandering around aimlessly after high school. Wanting a sign from God about what His will is for this next season of their life. Now, I want to say two things very briefly about signs. The first is, God, in His mercy, even today, still gives us signs. He does. Sometimes they come in words of wisdom and words of knowledge from other members of a covenant body. Sometimes they come through chance circumstances. I even believe that they can come through impressions or even dreams. But the second thing that I want to say is that the Spirit-led church today, and I don't necessarily use that in a, as an affectionate term, the Spirit-led church today is obsessed with signs to such an extent that they largely ignore and even neglect the one thing that the Spirit works through more than any other thing, that which is infallible and inerrant, that which is sharper than any two-edged sword, that which does not have to be tested and does not mislead as signs often can. And that is this book right here. Brothers and sisters, if you're looking for signs, instead of looking to the Word of God, hear me say this, and I don't mean to be crass, but signs be damned. Mary didn't have her own complete copy of the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Now, you're going to find out here in a little bit that she had a ton of it memorized. She quotes quite a bit of the Old Testament. She cared deeply about God's Word. 
But God, in His mercy, chose to give her a sign. And for us, He's given us more than a sign. Peter records in his second epistle, We have as more sure the prophetic word to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. That's from 2 Peter 1.19. Let me give a brief example of how we navigate this strange business of signs. How we can balance things rightly. Michael Foster was recently speaking to young single men who he says regularly ask him the question. It's something like, how can I be certain that it's God's will for me to marry this particular woman, whomever she may be? His answer was simple and based on direct instructions from the scriptures. Principles directly pulled from the word of God. He said three things. Number one, is she a Christian seeking the Lord? Number two, do you have a job and will that job support the both of you? And number three, do you think she's pretty? It's important. I was talking to my children about this around the breakfast table this morning. Foster said, if the answer to those three things is yes, then it is God's will because it's revealed in the word of God and you should marry her. Now, he will sometimes give us signs. And I know when it comes to that spouse, it's tempting to long for one of those. But don't rely on signs. Rely on the inexhaustible wisdom found in the Word of God that's completed and closed. Spurgeon once said, with a bit of sting in his voice, when you cannot take the bare promise and dare not risk everything for God, but want something over and above the Word of God. You want that to rest in. You idolize, in fact, your own selfishness. He goes on to say, when you must have marks and signs and evidences of the things which God has plainly declared, and you will not believe God unless you have corroborative proof, you are playing the idolater's part. Yet human nature continually craves for more than God all-sufficient because it is so carnal that it will not trust the invisible one. And we have this, beloved, more sure, the prophetic word, which we do well to attend to. Christ the King, do you wish to join the chorus of worshipers of Jesus throughout time and history? then you must know and treasure Christ in His Word. Now what happened next as Mary entered Elizabeth's house is of no small significance. I alluded to this earlier. Verse 41, the first part. And it happened that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, as soon as Mary walks in the door and greets Elizabeth, cousin Elizabeth, before she can even get the greeting out of her mouth, the baby... John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb leaped for joy. Notice that John, in his preborn state, yet filled with the Holy Spirit, was so eager to worship his Savior. There's no confusion about what his role as forerunner of the Messiah would be. Even in his preborn state, oh, by the way, babies 
know a lot more in the womb than we give them credit for. A whole lot more. As herald of the king, he lives that calling before he can even breathe. He can't speak. His mouth is full of fluid in the uterus. And yet, he's doing everything that he can to worship Jesus, to call out to Jesus, to say, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Additionally, and I mentioned this earlier, John the Baptist in this moment is the first descendant of Adam to ever worship the Word of God wrapped in human flesh. So powerful. Only six months in gestation. John the Baptist would have been around eight inches long at this point. He would have had bone marrow that was just beginning to produce blood cells in the body. His eyebrows and eyelashes were beginning to sprout at this point. And he was just developing taste buds. But at this point, he already had a taste for King Jesus. He already loved the Lamb of God. Beloved, when you read things like this, does your heart long for that kind of love of Jesus? Would you love for your first waking thoughts of every day to be those of the opening words of Ephesians 1? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed me in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You wake up in the morning and you just burst forth with joy and praise to Jesus. Are you eager for outbursts of praise like Paul in his letter to the Romans? Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable are His ways. Do you wish that your doubt would turn into the faith of Thomas when he saw the Lord Jesus and he fell in worship and he said, My Lord and my God. Would you like to respond to trials and temptations with an immediate glance at Jesus and the words of Nathaniel, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Do you desire to cling to Him moment by moment like Mary Magdalene did after she met the resurrected Christ? Remember, Jesus had to say, don't cling to me yet. I still haven't ascended to the Father. If God can do it in the soul of a baby in the womb of his mother, how can he not do it in you? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Nothing will be impossible with God. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. This last week, I listened to a message from our brother Matt Cook at Maynardville Fellowship. He was preaching from Matthew 17, the part where Jesus asks Peter about the poll tax and what they should do about it. Should we pay the tax? Should we not pay the tax? And Jesus and Peter have this conversation together. By the way, the message by Matt is worth the listen. All the elders listened to it. We enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, just a trigger warning, Matt is not the most winsome preacher you'll ever listen to. <laughs> If you have a left-leaning mid-eva bone in your body, you're probably going to set your hair on fire. <laughs> He's that kind of guy. I like him. Now, after speaking exhaustively about unbiblical taxation laws, unbiblical prisons, and unbiblical public schools, 
Matt answered a question that most of his congregation was probably that, by that point asking. Matt, what are we supposed to do about all these injustices in our culture? And his response won me over to hope. He said, I'm not big enough to move that mountain. But Jesus says that his kingdom doesn't start as the mountain. It starts as a mustard seed. But over time, that mustard seed would go through a, a radical transformation. And it wouldn't transform from a mustard seed into a mustard bush. It would actually transform from a mustard seed into the largest of trees. Therefore, Matt asserted to his congregation, he said, if I even have that small of a faith in Jesus and I'm obedient to him, no mountain will ever be able to stand in my way. Brothers, do you want to worship Jesus Christ to a greater extent than you have thus far? Then begin pursuing him. Eric Kahn recently said, the most profound advice I ever got in growing in sanctification and love for Jesus was an old pastor who told me, Eric, read your Bible for 15 minutes a day and then pray for 15 minutes a day and commit to doing that over and over and over and over again. Just keep doing that. That simple thing, 15 minutes of Bible reading, 15 minutes of prayer. Church, what do you need to knock off to get at least 30 minutes a day with your king? Give yourself to Christ. This isn't complicated. Yahweh said through the prophet Jeremiah, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. But I'm never going to seek him with all of my heart. And you're never going to start until you try. Begin. Start seeking Christ. Even now. Even 15 minutes of Bible reading and 15 minutes of prayer a day, God can use to encourage your heart towards more love in Christ. To be faithful in the pursuit. To grow in your love. If you miss a day here or there, don't give up. The Spirit of Christ will begin over time to fill you up with love for Jesus. And speaking of the Spirit's filling, look at the second part of verse 41 into verse 42. As John leapt in her womb, the Bible says, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She was filled with the Holy Spirit. Blessed is he, she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Luke tells us that Elizabeth, when she was filled with the Holy Spirit, began to utter words inspired to her by the Lord. Now, her, her being filled with the Spirit doesn't mean that in this moment she became a Christian. This is a separate event from becoming to Christ. We receive the Holy Spirit at the point of our conversion, and He never leaves us nor forsakes us. But the Spirit does sometimes fill His people in profound ways for ministry. And in this instance, if you'll allow me, Elizabeth was filled with words of prophetic utterance. What she's about to say is information and data she did not have. She's going to say things that prior to speaking them, she had no way of knowing. She uttered, in this instance, the divine significance of God's actions. Her prophecy contains three different elements. First is a blessing to Mary and to Jesus. In verse 42, she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women. 
and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, this is interesting for a couple of different reasons. When Mary walks into Zechariah and Elizabeth's home, it's up to her to give the blessing to the household. Bless this household. Bless its occupants. Bless you, Zechariah. Bless you, Mary. Or bless you, Elizabeth. She was responsible to give the blessing. But as she begins to give the blessing, Elizabeth senses John leaping, stops Mary, and begins uttering a blessing to Mary instead. She's the superior in age and rank. She's the homeowner. But here she blesses the lesser of the two. The second reason this is interesting is how did she know that Mary was carrying Jesus at this point? Luke doesn't record any prior dialogue between the two. Filled with the Holy Spirit, nevertheless, the elderly woman was granted insight into the significance of the moment. In verses 43 to 44, she recounts awe for herself and for John. She says, And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt in my womb for joy. Now Elizabeth acknowledges here that though she is a righteous woman, though she has walked blamelessly in all the commandments of Yahweh God, chapter 1, verse 6, she is, even with all of that, still an undeserving recipient of God's grace. Her humility here is palpable. After all she has done for Yahweh, she still acknowledges in these verses her need for a Savior. Oh, for a biblical perspective of self that puts us in our place and shuts our proud mouths and a grander view of the gift of God's grace towards us in Christ. The last thing is a praise for Mary's faith. In verse 45, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. In concluding her prophecy, Elizabeth, a woman, the mother of John the Baptist, actually utters the first beatitude in the Gospel of Luke. She speaks the same truth that Jesus would to Thomas at the end of his earthly ministry. He said, blessed are those who did not see and yet believed. Again, these are the things that Elizabeth would have had no way of knowing prior to this encounter. And going back to the theme of contrast from last week, implicit in her words here is a distinction between Mary's faith and her own husband's faith. Between Mary's belief in the angel's words and Zachariah's unbelief in the angel's words. Her own husband did not believe Gabriel, but Mary did. Church at Christ the King, have you considered how precious this gift of faith is to the believer? It is the greatest of all gifts. We receive salvation through the peerless atonement of Christ by our faith in Him. We also live in the realm of faith, and therefore we must do business in faith and disciple our families in faith and work out our own salvation in faith, and work through our trials of various kinds by our faith. If there's been any good deed done in the world, any at all, any progress made in the advancement of the gospel, any act of charity from which lasting fruit is born, it must have been done by faith. And this faith, Ephesians 2.8 says, is entirely a gift of God. 
It was the grace of faith in the life of Abraham by which he believed the promises of God. And that same gift was given to Noah to compel the building of the ark. And we're told that Samson conquered his enemies by faith. That David slew the giant Goliath by actions that flowed from his faith. Imagine Theophilus, again, sitting here. He's reading this letter. He's a man being tested and tried. He's got his own crisis of faith going on. He's confronted here with the story of 1 Zechariah and his lack of faith. And now Mary who's full of faith in God and His actions. This story must have been a zing and also a strong encouragement to him. Come on, Theophilus. Believe God. Trust Him. Brother and sister, do you desire to worship King Jesus? You can only do so by faith. Chris, I want to love Christ more and I want to praise Him with greater fervency, but how do I even grow in faith? To this point, I've mentioned the importance of the Word of God and diligent attention and meditation on it. With that, in an effort to foster greater faith, add the rule of obedience to Christ. Take Mary's example. The angel of God gives her a revelation, a word from God, and Mary wastes no time in following God's leading to see that that word be true. She was obedient to Him. I've said previously that closeness to Christ comes through the ancient paths of reading God's Word and meditating on it. But, just like any good pietist, you can read all you like and meditate on the Word of God. You can get those mushy-gushy feelings in your heart. You can think longingly of Jesus, but if you do not get up and obey the Word of God, you will never grow in faith. There are men and women and children in our church who faithfully attend to the Word of God and even pray. But each time they walk away from divine revelation and they change nothing in their lives. Christ the King, would you say that you want to grow in worship of Jesus Christ? Then brother, you must lay down your pride and expose your years-long marriage problem to the elders. You need help and you know it. God is calling you to obey Him and bring it into the light. And sister, you must be open about the bitterness in your heart towards the other covenant member you're now thinking of. God has pointed it out to you numerous times through the Word, and you have yet to act on it. Today is the day that you should reveal it to someone, even to an elder, so that you can be set free. There's a young person listening to me right now who's been stealing from the family and even from the church. Exercise faith in bringing it before your parents or the elders so that you too can grow in worship of Christ. J.C. Ryle observed, When the great white throne is set and the books are open, when the dead are called from their graves and receiving their final sentence, the value of faith will at length be fully known. Men will learn then, if they never learned before, how true are the words, blessed are they that truly believed. Well, now we come to the third voice in this worship ensemble, the voice of Mary. Verses 46 to 56, her song of praise is one of the most famous hymns 
ever sung to the Lord Jesus. And you sang a portion of those words in the worship just moments ago. This is known as the Magnificat, which is the Latin, Latin translation of the Greek word megalune, which means to magnify. Less than a minute after Mary hops off the caravan at Zachariah's house, walking towards the house to greet Elizabeth, John leaps, Elizabeth utters her prophecy, and then Mary joins right in with this gushing, spontaneous praise that just comes out of her obedient heart. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. And she gives two reasons for her exaltation of God. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will call me blessed. And what is she saying here? She's saying, he noticed me. He saw me. He didn't forget about me. He took notice of me. Notice she doesn't say something silly like, I had this coming, y'all. After all, I've never sinned. Which in and of itself, if she said, would be sinful. She says, I'm insignificant. I'm just God's slave. But he has chosen to have favor on me. She's blown away. Her response is strikingly similar to Elizabeth's. God is speaking again. His words are not coming through the high priest or through Herod, the pseudo-king of Israel. His words are coming through the most unexpected participants in this divine drama. An elderly barren woman and a preborn virgin girl. And I would add to that, or a, and a, and a preborn boy and a virgin girl. At the beginning of the gospel, two women, Mary and Elizabeth, have already read the narrative. They see what God's doing. Mary's words all about generations, all the generations will call me blessed, are not a form of bragging on herself. They're a cry of a girl who is stunned that God would use her womb to form the physical body of the Messiah. He noticed me. He knew how low I was. Can you believe it? Everybody is going to say that an insignificant slave of God was blessed by Yahweh. That's the cry of her heart. I want to stop briefly here. I want you to notice Mary's assessment of herself. There's no pretension. As Eugene Peterson puts it, Mary here has a realism that recognizes grace. She sees what God's doing with a realistic and right, not too low of herself, but certainly not too high. She sees what God's doing. It's been said that a man has just so much Christianity as he has humility. Where does the fruit of humility come from? Now, if you follow the application thus far, you attend to the Word of God, you study it, you meditate on it, you get up and do what it says, you will be walking in ever-increasing, rightly ordered obedience to God. And if you love God's Word and submit to it, you won't have to use scapegoats for your pride. None of the stupid self-actualization identity nonsense or blaming your parents or those that have wronged you in the past as a way of excusing your faults. 
As we behold the triune God revealed in the Bible, all imaginative thoughts of a cosmos revolving mostly around ourselves are completely shattered. And with the Spirit's help, we see the grand plan of Yahweh aiming at His own glory. That's where Mary's at. She sees the plan. She sees where God is headed. And we can do nothing more than turn our admiration and awe into humble praise of Him. Church, I would encourage you to embrace humility. Treasure it. No sin is worth com protecting when compared to the cost of losing Christ-like humility. And its companion, the companion of humility, is always a heart that worships Jesus Christ. Now in verse 49, Mary gives the second reason why she's magnifying the Lord. She goes on to say, For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. The first thing she said was, He noticed me. Now she says, In noticing me, He acted. He didn't just stay unresponsive. He didn't stay still. He moved on my behalf. The term Mighty One is used frequently in the Old Testament to speak of God's great deliverances from Israel's enemies. It's used frequently in the Song of Moses in the Septuagint translation of the Old Testament. His name is holy not because of the virtues of His per perfect attributes. There's a lot of study of the attributes of God today and His attributes ought be studied and they are perfect and they are glorious. But here, Mary is saying that His name is holy because His salvation for His people displays a sovereign rule and a care for His people. I noticed you and I'm acting for you. That's the holiness that she's proclaiming. His oversight and care for this young girl is proof that He continues to rule the nations, especially His people, and He protects His own. Which is why she goes on to say in verse 50, His mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear Him. Now if your Bible has those words in all caps, it's because they're almost an exact quotation of Psalm 103, verse 17. God's saving work is not just for Mary. She's not delusional about this song. The Catholics want to make this song a lot about her. And the glory that she's going to get to be the Theotokos, the, the mother of God. But his mercy was not solely reserved for her. But here Mary testifies herself for all those who fear him. Her prior devotion to the word of God has led her to see both the forest and the trees in God's plan of salvation. Verses 51 to 53 further reveal Mary's insight into the upside-down kingdom that's coming. You hear terms like proud scattered, rulers dethroned, humble exalted, hungry filled, rich empty. This is not the pipe dream of a communist revolutionary, though evangelical social justice warriors like Eric Mason want you to read it this way. And he also wants to let Mary preach too. Everything that she says, though, goes back to that phrase from verse 50. Those who fear Him are going to be in this kind of kingdom, where the proud are scattered, the rulers are dethroned. You don't have to become an enemy of God if you take a position of power or get a pay raise. Know that, beloved. 
If you take a county commission seat or reach the next tax bracket, you do not automatically somehow become anathema to the Lord. But those who do obtain possessions and power often grow in their lust for them, which leads them to a sense of autonomy, away from the fear and dependence on the Savior of all men. This most frequently happens in the rich and powerful. Christ, through His coming kingdom, is going to bring all of that smashing down. Those who are waiting eagerly for adoption as sons, as Paul says in Romans 8, shall one day be exalted. Mary saw that by faith. Notice the past tense verbs in these three verses. He has done these things. He has scattered. He has brought down. He has exalted. Mary's not looking back at time and saying, look what God did in the days of Moses in Egypt. Look what God did in the the days of David. Look what God did in the days of Samson. She's not looking back and saying that. The present tense reality of the kingdom, she sees forward to the end of time, proud being brought down, rich, empty, hungry, being filled, and yet she sees it as already past tense. It's as good as done. God is going to bring this kingdom of fulfillment to where I can speak of what is future as already being in the past. It's reminiscent of Paul's golden chain of redemption in Romans 8. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined, and he called, and he justified, and they are already glorified. Already, past tense. It's as good as done, church. The proud are already thrown down. Wicked rulers already dethroned. There may be a strong split right now in favor of the left on the Anderson County Commission Board. But not for long. Mary already saw that Christ's kingdom would bring an end to every form of opposition to the rule of King Jesus. I ask you, do you believe that's true? If you do... Doesn't it make you want to worship King Jesus? If there's a lost person in here today, I'm sure there is. Do you feel a deep sense of guilt over your own self-reliance? Why are you resisting the rule of King Jesus? Repent right now and turn in fear and obedience to King Jesus. He will even now accept your pledge of faith to Him. Your story could be like that of Zacchaeus, who though he was very wealthy, and he never gave up his wealth as far as we know, and Jesus did not require him to, when two chapters prior to the Zacchaeus story, he required the rich man to give up all of his things. How do you become a son or daughter of Abraham, because Zacchaeus, it was said of him by Jesus, today salvation has come to this house because he too is the son of Abraham. Jesus wasn't saying that because he was born in the line of Abraham, he was saved. Jesus was saying something different. He was saying Zacchaeus is the son of Abraham because of his faith. He was born again. Not born of a, an earthly line, but born of a heavenly line. Those who believe in Christ by faith. Lost person. Have you a desire in you now to worship Jesus Christ? Then believe in Him by faith. 
Believe in him by faith and be saved today. Finally, Mary concludes her song with a recognition of God's faithfulness to his promises. She says in verses 54 to 55, He has given help to Israel his servant in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his seed forever. Now God swore all the way back in Genesis 3 that the seed would come, the seed of the woman. He, he confirmed that that promise was going to happen to Abraham. He said that seed is still coming. He's still on the way. And he testified it again and again throughout the prophets of old. And Mary has said here in this passage, right here in these two verses, in the presence of Elizabeth, perhaps at this point Zachariah has come out to listen to what's going on too. And she reiterates the meaning of their two names right in front of them. Our God always keeps His promises. That's what this is all about. God said He would send the seed. The seed has come. He's here. He's a month along, just getting started. But His body of flesh is growing right now inside of Mary. God keeps His promises, beloved. Young children, have you thought about searching the Word of God for promises? Children, I'm speaking specifically to you this morning. Do you believe that God has sworn to do things for those who fear Him? If you do tremble at His Word, do you believe that these promises are intended for you too, even as a child? I wish I could speak to myself as a young man and encourage attention to God's word as no one had when I was young. No one came to me and told me. While I was still a boy, would that someone would have come to me and said, give yourself to God's word. Did you know there are promises in there for believers of Jesus, even the youngest among you? How many answers to prayer I never received? Because I never knew that if I prayed, God would answer how many comforts I passed up in many seasons of darkness to know that God's promise of always being with me in those moments of trial, giving me His comfort, as Daniel prayed in his prayer this morning. How much growth in godliness and masculine maturity I missed because I hated the thought of sitting down and submitting to the Word of God that gives life. Young ones, don't do what I did. I know it can feel like a chore to read your Bible. If you ask your parents and they give you an honest answer, they will tell you, yes, some days it is hard. Some days it feels like a chore. Did you know that God's Word has given Christian children His precious and magnificent promises so that by them, even you, young children, can become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. That's from 2 Peter 1, verse 4. Children, are you thirsty? Are you in need of some rest? Are you tired of the anger that you feel towards your siblings? Are you frustrated at your attempts to repent? To no avail? God has promised you help in His Word for these and myriads more promises are available to you. As you search the Scriptures for these, God will be making a worshiper of Christ, even out of the youngest. Now, we see in that last verse that Mary's going to spend the next three months 
with Elizabeth until John's birth. And we're going to learn more about that next week. Next week, my co-elder Jeremy is going to bring us a message for the birth story of John and Zechariah's response when he can finally speak and the prophecy he utters. But as I close, I ask you again, do you desire to worship Jesus Christ? Would you like that your voice be one that joins in with these three characters and with Theophilus and the multitude of saints throughout history in a glorious song of adoration to Yahweh God? Then follow the ancient paths of God. Make time for His Word. Obey what it says. Grow in faith and humility. And cling to and trust His promises. To go back to what I said just a moment ago about God's deliverances of us, and that those deliverances Mary was able to see by faith are already past tense. Listen to this excerpt from Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews says, But you have come to Mount Zion, notice the past tense, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the myriads of angels, to the festal gathering and the assembly of the firstborn who are all enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. You have come to this, to the sprinkled blood, which speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Beloved, if that's true of us right now, if those things are true of us right now, if that's already a past tense reality for us, it's as good as done for us, then why not lift our voices to Christ and worship Him? Let's pray. Father, we thank You that what You promised to do is so sure that we can speak of it as already a finished thing. Oh, that we might join in the jubilation, the exuberance, the festivities that we see here, even from preborn John the Baptist to Elizabeth to Mary. And it's going to grow into thousands in the book of Acts, worshiping Jesus. And it's going to begin to spread across the Roman world. And it's going to transform Europe and Asia and Africa. And it's made its way across the Atlantic. And here we are with thousands of churches all across this country. Even today, many of whom are still faithfully trying to preach your word. Many saints of God still worshiping you, even in these difficult times. Would you give us strength by the power of the Holy Spirit to worship alongside of them? Help us to see in our study, even tomorrow, as people wake up perhaps for the first time, and open their Bible when they haven't in a week or more. And they see there the glory of Christ. Lord, would you send your spirit in that moment to encourage them and fill them up with praise for Jesus. May it be such a remarkable thing that husbands and wives and children are saying of one another, there is so much joy in you today. What has happened? And we can testify to one another, I've been with Christ. I've seen him this morning in the infallible and errant word that he left for us. And I love him. And I just have to sing. Lord, let that be the case in each one of us. No matter where we are, near or far, 
Fill us with the joy of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.